Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Ben Bentel, former forward for the Providence Friars, probably declared a little too early. <laughs> That's a safe assumption right there, I would say. He was really good for the Friars, man. Uh, for like a day and a half. Yeah, great name. Great name more than anything else. At the very least, we got alliteration into the show, but he was he was really good for the Friars, left for the NBA draft a little too early, some would say, but he subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and Taylor at Taylor Dammel. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon, distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis Blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. We got some snow here today. Oh, actually, not some snow. It is blizzarding. It's seventy-seven degrees here in Scottsdale. Fine. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> Are you looking for fall weather? I mean, it is it is Halloween, so I guess fall weather. You need to have Halloween and fall weather. I mean, even even we had a forty-three degree morning here today. Oh wow! Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Well, I had to wear a sweater to Starbucks. I'm wearing a sweater right now. Look, but, man, I'm I'm perfectly fine with the snow. I work from home, so it's not like I have to go back and forth, walk outside every single day. I get to enjoy this beautiful, fluffy white snow falling from the ground from the seat of my pants. Just let it get plowed, and everyone slip and fall before you get out there and and really explore. So I like it. Are you guys going to be out? exploring oh no you're gonna be in la this weekend yeah so we get the we get the snow today and then we leave for la tomorrow night it's because you guys are really west coasters as much as you hate to admit it you guys are west coasters we're basically taking the entire month of november off we're going (laughs) to be on the west coast that being said we uh, we will be back for obviously december and then january and then february 
probably March and April will be freezing too, but <laughs> so we'll get our fair share. Yeah. Oh no, it's true. It's true. The best part about living in a big city sometimes is your ability to travel out of it. And late December in Chicago, January, maybe might have to catch a flight somewhere real quick. If things go, uh, go, go South with the weather. Yeah. But for now I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, the snow reacclimating myself having grown up in Boston. I, I, I really haven't, had a snow day in what 10 years now 11 yeah 11 years yeah i mean it's not like i'm getting off of work right now i'm clearly still working it's not really a snow day right snow day is synonymous with getting off of school or getting off of work but as as someone who as someone who works from home similar to myself what are the what are the requirements when it comes to uh taking a day off like, is it like snow, like, you know, it snows, like it's snowed, a, let's say it snows a foot in Chicago. Can you just be like, oh, sorry, couldn't, couldn't make it in today? No, <laughs> definitely not. They're like, so the snow impeded you from opening up your computer. <laughs> right. If the snow, if the snow completely blew out my internet connection, that'd be the perfect excuse. But in terms of, I mean, I could, I could potentially be like, well, I wasn't able to walk downstairs to my Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and right. be one of those coffee guys. Oh, I can't start my day without my first cup of coffee. Uh, I hate, I'm I go to Starbucks every day, but I do hate those people. Like, oh, I was an idiot before 11 a.m. because I didn't have coffee. Like, fuck off. Yeah, that's not a real. That's not a valid excuse. No, don't give no. me that. Agreed. I think outside of snow, a real legitimate reason would be if I was deathly ill, like deathly ill. Because even if I'm just regularly sick, I probably won't work. But I'm not going to take any sick time. I'll open my laptop and show to other people that I'm working. <laughs> here, I, here I am, connected. Okay. Also, if, it, if any of my employers are listening to this, that's that's not true. This is someone filling in for Subi today. And it's not during work hours. It's past normal work hours right now is when we're recording. 100%. Correct. Correct. Right. That is a hundred percent right. Awesome. So let's dive in. We got a great preview of the Big East today. One of our favorite conferences, maybe not of the last few years, but growing up, this was our bread and butter. Any college basketball fans, true bread and butter. The Big East, right now for me, just evokes so many memories. It's rife with nostalgia. Is the same with you? Yeah, I think the Big East is really, is, even if it doesn't have its traditional cast of characters like it did back in the day, I think the Big East is really back to being like Big East basketball. I think this is arguably the best conference in the country, along with the Big Ten. And, I mean, you got a lot of studs in this conference. And the thing that, about the Big East, it's, a little, it's kind of similar with the Big Ten, but more so with the Big East, and this is kind of classic Big East basketball, is you got a lot of old men playing. These aren't boys playing in the Big East. These are 22-year-old, sometimes older, playing in Madison Square Garden in the cold, grinding it out, elbowing each other in the head. I love it. I love Big East basketball. It's not, you know, I, I could I could 100% understand why say the casual basketball fan wouldn't love a big East brand of basketball, especially old school, big East brand of basketball. It's more of a grind it out type of basketball, but as a 
as a true traditional fan, I just love it. This I I love Big East basketball. I think they've done a good job these past couple of years because a good job of trying to keep themselves afloat in the sense that the talent isn't the same as what it was mid 2000s, early 2010s, but they still play at Madison Square Garden. They have Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery calling those games, which <laughs> yeah, which I mean, if you don't if you don't think that makes a difference, it it definitely does. I'd rather listen to a Big East game because Gus and Gus and Raft are calling it as opposed to like a Pac-12 game. Not uh, I do love Walton. I do love Walton. Walton. And I, lo- I like Bill Pash. I like Bill Pash. Just Pash, how about Dave, how about Dave D- Pash and Walton are cool, but the other ones like Matt Mulebach and shit like that. I, Rox, I don't need to Roxy hear Roxy Bur- Yeah, I don't need to hear those guys. Actually, give me and Gus Johnson especially take him over half the ESPN guys doing like Big Ten basketball. Dan Dockage, get the fuck out of here. I don't. Yeah, the worst. No, no. Give me, give me Gus Johnson. Give me Raftery. Give me a, a classic Big East matchup. Can't ask for much better uh, than on a on a cold winter's night. You know. Yeah, exactly. Or or just like during the day on a Saturday, right? Th- those guys, whatever. Yeah, those guys have been delivering great Big East calls for the past few years now. But uh, additionally, keep playing those games at Madison Square Garden is huge. A Big East matchup in MSG is the apex of college basketball because for me, at least because it, like I said, evokes so many memories and brings up so much nostalgia. And so the conference last year and really the past three years has been carried by Villanova and their two titles in the last three years, they've been running this conference with an iron fist. Jay Wright in his sexy ass suits Mm. has been dominating this conference. And so I think more and more teams have gotten better. There's been a lot of turnover at the head coaching ranks and so four teams made the tournament last year, but none of them really made it past the second round. This is the opposite of what happened with the Big Ten when we discussed them in our previous episode. The Big Ten had nine teams last year, and they went 7-1 and one in the first round, whereas the Big East here only had four, and none made it past the second round. In my opinion, Marquette being the absolute most disappointing because oh a hundred percent a hundred percent they started out so hot with the hauser brothers and marcus howard and they lost to john morant and murray state that was a very sexy 12 over five pick uh i was an idiot i went with the five seed in marquette but obviously we know how that happened but regardless the big east was kind of down last year and they didn't perform in the postseason seton hall lost to wofford in the tournament last year as well yeah, and I, we'll we'll get to Seton Hall here, and I actually think there's some there's one particular issue with with that team last year that may carry over into this year. But first and foremost, we'll start Taylor with the coach of the year. Who you got coming out with coach of the year in the Big East? God, you know, so I I have my notes in front of me, and I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven scribbles out of names of both the coach of the year and the winner of the conference. I, some of the names have been scribbled out twice and then like rewritten. And so, like we said last year, only four teams made the tournament, but I'm much more bullish on the, the Big East this year for almost all the same reasons all the way around. Like I just referenced, there are a lot of returners in this conference, a lot of people who have been in their system for a year, two, or three. And in college basketball, that usually means success at least the ability to grind out games where other teams are still coming together. Now, 
that being said, my coach of the year is only in the second season at his school. And I'm going with Javier, his coach, Travis Steele. I think that his team, although they had a really slow start to last year, and they had a kind of an awkward transition from Chris Mack to Travis Steele, I think his team is going to be the most improved team in this conference this year. They have so many returners, and they are big. They are big dudes, too. Let me roll into their lineup here. They've got nobody on their team that's going to be a starter is not a, is, is younger than a junior. They have one transfer in from Ohio, and that's Jason Carter. And everybody else on the team is a senior or a junior, and, and Carter is a redshirt junior. Um, you've got Bryce Moore, who's a grad transfer as well, redshirt senior from Western Michigan. And they have the best name of any freshman that came into this conference, and that's Kai Kai Tandy. And how can you not root for a guy like Kai Kai Tandy? How's that spelled? Like K Y K Y. Oh wow! Yeah, you're Kai right. Kai. As much as but much. I don't know as if you... it was like C H I C H I or something. No, no, no. no. So um, they have uh, Big East Conference Player of the Year candidate in Najee Marshall. He's certainly uh, going to be most likely a uh, Big East all all conference player. And so I am really, really uh, bullish on a team like Xavier who last year wasn't any good, at least not for the first half. Uh, they won seven of their last nine games last year. And so I think they're going to be much improved. And I think they're going to finish really high in the conference. I won't tell you where yet, but I think Xavier is going to finish really high in the conference compared to last year. God damn it. Well, <laughs> I have the exact same thing. Yeah, Travis. I have Travis Steele. Yeah, Travis Steele. Yeah, and, and you I know guess what? we'll update the format. We'll go one and one. But yeah, I got Travis Steele. What were you saying? But, you know, I, I had Ed Cooley on this list. Um, I had Kevin Willard on this list. Mm-hmm. I I even had, um, you know, Patrick Ewing on this list. Did Woj even cross your mind? Woj, he did not. I should say. He actually he did not. He did not. Because although I think Marquette is a tournament team, they're, they just lost too much from last year. I don't I don't think you're going to finish ahead of Xavier. And I think if you look and say, okay, so Xavier's got a second-year coach that finishes uh, high in the conference, that that's going to be um, where they're going to end up. I, I, my problem with, um, say, like a Jay Wright, for example, is it's just like we talked about in almost every one of these previews. Expectations are too high. If you He's won two national championships in the last four four years. So... If he doesn't reach that level again, he's not going to win coach of the year. And that's whether that's right or wrong, it's just not going to happen. Well, it's funny because we talk about those other coaches. We talk about Bill Self. We talk about the expectations with Izzo, Calipari, and Roy Williams, right? Coach K. But Jay Wright is actually the one with the most titles in recent memory out of all of these guys. Right? Oh, yeah. He's in, in the shortest amount of time. So Jay Wright is the one that you're completely correct he's and again it's voter fatigue jay writes he's won all the accolades that he can i think at this point for him to win biggie's coach of the year he's gonna need a team that's just god awful 
which I don't think will happen with his recruiting ability and everyone wanting to go to Villanova in the Big East. But if his team was projected to finish somewhere in the middle of the pack towards the bottom end of the pack and he has them as a tournament team or finishing top three, that's when Jay Wright will get his coach of the year right. again. Right. And, and I mean, agreed. I think we can say that like, like not to beat a dead horse, but we can say that about most of the 15, let's call it best coaches in this country with Jay Wright as well with inside that top five coach in this country. And so it's just hard to continually prove to people, Oh, this is how good I am. So th- that's why I went with Travis Steele, though. Um, kind of an up-and-comer, and I think his Xavier team, who returns a lot of people. They do have five freshmen, so their depth is going to be an issue, but their starting lineup is all old men. They all averaged more than 11 points a game last year. Now, obviously, Jason Carter wasn't with them last year, but they all averaged uh, big numbers last year. They have good rebounders. Uh, everybody in the starting lineup averaged more than three rebounds and half of, and four of them start averaged over five rebounds. You also have three guy, four guys who averaged over two assists last year with three of those guys averaging over three. So you've got a, and you just have a really solid squad that kind of found themselves at the end of last year. And I think that's going to continue to push into this year. So that's why I'm really high on Xavier and Travis Steele. Yeah, as am I. And so you've made a lot of great points. I think the biggest one being that they finished off the season seven and nine. And so this is the same thing that Brad Underwood did with his team, right? So he, he finished off the season very well, but started off poorly. And so I chose Brad Underwood as my coach of the year in the Big Ten. Travis Steele was able to help his team finish strong. Uh, he was only a first-year head coach. This obviously coming into his second year, he gets his four starters returning that you had mentioned, the best of which Najee Marshall, who very well could make one All-Big East team. I don't know if it'll be first, probably looking at at second uh, All-Big East. And I actually think, so I know you're not going to say where you think Xavier is going to finish in the Big East table. I think that they're going to be a top four team. I would, yeah, I, 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 they are, and that sure, may not my be mind. that may not be going out on a limb for the amount of teams in the Big East. No, they're but, they're ranked they're ranked nineteenth in preseason, so right. which is third. So right, so right, I, I, I like I like where Xavier's headed this year, uh, but I think just generally speaking, as a program, this is what Xavier does: they get quick turnarounds, and they have now a proven track record of hiring the correct coach. They hired Sean Miller. They hired Chris Mack, right? And now they have Travis Steele, who is still relatively unproven. But Sean Miller and Chris Mack have now gone on to do really good things for big-time programs. We're expecting a lot now this year with with Chris Mack. Xavier just knows how to identify these coaches to get them back uh, on, on the right on the right track. And it's it's almost unfortunate because it is a good coaching job. Xavier is, it's not one of the top 10 or anything like that, but it's a good college basketball coaching job in my opinion, because it's strictly a basketball school and the, the, the people that they get in uh, go on to get poached by some of these other, other big, bigger name schools. Right. It's interesting too, because the coaches, we generally see coaches poached after like two or three, three years these Xavier coaches are poached after like six or seven years eight years I think really it's the environment. interesting yeah it's really interesting because 
Chris Mack has had a lot of um, uh, national notoriety for a long time as a Xavier coach. And I think what the problem is this is Xavier is a program that is a are they a second tier college job or are they a third tier? They're probably job? one of the highest third tier college jobs. Right. That's where I'll give them. They're borderline second. They're like a 30 top 30 job yeah. in the right. I'd, I'd put them top 30. And so the problem is, is I think Xavier coaches continue to coach there for a long time and they continue to churn out appearances in the tournament, except for last year, but appearances in the tournament and as a, and every so often, like Sweet 16, and every so often, Sweet 16. And it's the same thing, just because we know Sean Miller so well. It's the same thing that happens with Sean Miller, and the same thing happened with Chris Mack and Thad Mata before that. And that is... How did I forget Thad Mata, by the yeah, way? Yeah, right, right. Holy shit. And, and that is, the ceiling is Elite Eight. Maximum peak of the of the A-frame ceiling is... is which is pretty good for a small school like Xavier. It is because it's really just tough. It's t- it's it's not tough to pull good recruits. It's tough to pull great recruits. So what we see, and I think what Xavier's best um, best quality when it comes to finding these coaches is you have really good developers and you have really good coaches who have an eye on the diamond in the rough type of recruit. And we see that over and over and over again at Xavier. And they are a really underrated program as a whole. Um, Almost like when we talked about in the Big Ten preview that Purdue is a really underrated, consistent program in this country. Xavier is similar to that, just with a little less success than a school like, say, Purdue. But they still have just now, if you look, you know, Thad Mata was the coach there 20 years ago without looking. You know, yeah, right. And so for a non high, high major program, that's a really consistent coaching track record. That's the crucial part of it right there. We had mentioned that they're probably within that top 30, probably closer to the 20 to 30 range that we're referencing. But the fact that they didn't make the tournament last year, and it was kind of a shock slash disappointment to their fans and even to us, you kind of look at yourself and say, oh, shit, Xavier's not even in the field of 64? What 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 happened this past year? And then you kind of look and you realize, oh, that's right. Chris Mack left. Travis Steele's in his first year of coaching. And it's it's pretty, it's pretty impressive, the turnaround job that Steele has already done. And I think it's just instilling confidence in his guys. And so I'm very excited to see what he does with Xavier. I think they're going to be back on the up and up and like I had said, finish top three, top four within well, the conference. They have the second best recruiting class in the big East. And I guess before we move on here, would you say that Xavier is arguably the second best job in the big East? Or would you put like Nova's the first, obviously, but, or would you put like Georgetown maybe ahead of them? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just, uh, first of all, I think between you and me, we have different philosophies when it comes to this type of question, because I mean, it's taken me now a couple more years of Miami's ineptitude, but when you ask, do you think Miami's Miami football is a good coaching job? I'll be like, yes, it absolutely is. Maybe not so much now, but when we had this conversation three, four years ago, even when they were struggling, I was saying to myself, yeah, it, it, it still is a great coaching gig because of the history and because of all the all time talent that has gone through there. You say the same thing, about Georgetown with Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson, Alonzo Mourning. Those are just the guys that come straight to mind. There's a lot more. 
And so I would even put Providence above them. So interesting. Okay. I'd put Nova, Providence, uh, and, and Georgetown, and, and not in that particular order. Let me think. This would be this would be this is would be a good episode just in itself. By the way, yeah. Note this. You know what our top thirty jobs are in the country or whatever. But I think, yeah, I don't know. I I think there's an argument though to be made that. And this is exactly where we differ. Oh, you, well, UConn's coming back, but Syracuse also. UConn, Syracuse. Or well, if Syracuse is in the ACC, fuck me. Yeah, right. What do you say? What Jesus. are you talking about? Yeah. Well, we'll get to that whole difficulty when it comes to our starting five of this conference. That's true. So much that realignment. That a nightmare. Yeah. But I, 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 even if you don't agree with me that they are second, they're, certainly, they're not first. We know Villanova is easily the number one. I think that there's an there's at least an argument to be to be made that say, hey, this is probably the second most successful Big East current Big East school of the last two decades, and you know Marquette could be in there too. You know, no, I I agree. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, there's an argument there, and I think if maybe Xavier doesn't have a monster national presence, but I think if you go into that Ohio, uh, that Miak country, I guess if we may. Uh, that uh, they do have a lot of presence in that area, especially because Cincinnati is a, it's a big enough town in a big enough metro area to have some local talent in it as well. And I, you know, you obviously got to recruit against Cincinnati itself, but I, I think they have a big enough presence in that area that um, they can, will continue to be an upper echelon Big E school and. If if you don't think it now, maybe in the next decade again with Travis Steele, they'll even move up to maybe the surefire second best job in that conference. Well, yeah, I mean, you could definitely make the case for Xavier in terms of their success over the past decade or so, but two two, two decades, decades, sure. Yeah. But a lot of that, I, some some of that damage was also done in the A ten. So we I, again conference realignment, yeah, and, well, and then Mark, they, Mark, they have Mark been to two elite eights. They have been to two elite eights under two different coaches, which not a lot of other teams can say. Right. Well, and, yeah, and that's just for that's where this conference realignment is really difficult because you know Marquette, you've got that argument. Well, Dwayne Wade didn't play in the in the Big East, and then you've yeah, got you know Butler went to Final Fours as a Horizon League. Yep. team and so yeah it's just it's tough to where you want to fall in line of of how we think of these jobs what their success means to uh you know it's, it's almost just like any conference realignment team uh i think like a colorado in football as it relates to the pac-12 is a, is a good analogy for a team like georgetown colorado had awesome football teams in the big 12 back in the day but that we don't, as Pac-12 fans, we don't relate to that at all because right. that they just weren't like Cordell Stewart was 15 years before they joined the Pac-12. So I don't really think of them as as their football history. So I wonder if we asked true Big East fans what they think about the Marquette and Butler history and even Xavier history and how it relates to how they frame the history of the conference itself. Yeah, I think. For my money, Villanova, Providence, and Georgetown, they seem to be really the elder statesmen of the Big East. Maybe even you could say St. John's, uh, Seton Hall, maybe as well. But I mean, look, uh, and I'll get, I'll say this name again later in the episode, but Dave Gavitt, Providence guy, literally invented the Big East. So that's why I'm going to have to put Providence in that, in that top tier as well. Okay. Okay. 
Give me your player of the year. So it, it really came down to two people. Uh, and we know who those two people are. And that's Marcus Howard. And that's Miles Powell. I'm fingers and crossed that you chose the other guy. <laughs> I picked Marcus Howard. Oh, you're looking for a reaction? That's great news. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I was like, I was, I was like, pause. Okay. So I picked Marcus Howard simply due to the fact that without the Hauser brothers, he has a huge load on his back now. Marcus Howard is going to make or break that entire team's season this year, in my opinion. Uh, and we'll, and that's not that's like go not like going out on a limb or anything. I actually think they're that Marquette is a good team, and I think they're going to make the tournament simply because they have someone who is put a potential All-American on their roster. Uh, he averaged 25 points a game last year. They have a big transfer from Utah State, and his name is uh, Kobe McKellen. Cowan, McKellen, um, he should help in that backcourt. My problem with Marquette is, as a whole, is there's a lot of unknowns on Marquette. They lost their second and third best player who would have taken them. We could be talking about Marquette winning this conference if the Hauser brothers would have stayed. And then maybe as having like outside final four aspirations. And now we're talking about them as maybe I have them as like the fourth or fifth best team in the conference. And that's only because they have Marcus Howard. And so that's why Marcus Howard is my player of the year, senior guard, 25 points a game last year. I cannot see any reason as to why he's not going to score 25 points or more a game this year, unless the defense, unless everybody else in the roster just ends up not being good. Which is a complete uh, light or a, a complete possibility, and I would say that he's gonna unless he gets triple teamed, he's gonna win the conference player of the year. Although there is an exact argument for Miles Powell in a, almost a similar sense, but Miles Powell's supporting cast is gonna be better, yep. and they're gonna be a better team than Marquette, and they're gonna go further than Marquette in the tournament and all of that. So uh, Miles Powell is also a all-American candidate. And I I don't know if you if both of these guys have the opportunity to be all-Americans at the same time because they're both going to be doing very similar things. But I could I there's an outside opportunity. If Marquette actually is good, then they both they both could be all-American. And cuz what a backcourt that would be, Miles Powell and Mark Howard. Why don't you look at John Rothstein's Instagram because he has both of those guys Does on he? his All-American team. Both of I those think, guys. Well, if let's say both these guys score like 26, 27 points a game. Can't How do you keep, keep both? Because then they're both tournament teams. Seton Hall is going to be a really, really good team. They're ranked number 12 in the preseason rankings. Not that that preseason rankings mean anything, but I, I think there's that opportunity that they both could be there. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if voters for the, at least for the All-American uh, side of things, from a national perspective, split votes between them and only one of them make it as the first team All-American. But I could see it both happening. So I don't think, I, I think those are the only two guys that have the opportunity to win this this award. Oh, absolutely. And so I think that plus the fact that they also have a chance at getting on the, uh, on, on the All-American team makes this race for Player of the Year the best out of all the power conferences. I in would my agree. Opinion. Marcus I would agree. Howard versus Miles Powell. 
these are two alphas on their team that are going to get you 25 plus points every single time they step out onto the field onto the court excuse me this is like the complete opposite of the big 10 where it's already Cassius Winston's before he even dribbles the ball for the first game of the season so i'm excited for this 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 matchup between the two and the reason in addition to all the reasons that we just gave out is the amount of scoring that's going to be done it's not like these guys like Cassius Winston isn't going to get you 25 points plus he is a just a solid point guard who's going to do everything but these guys are an entertainment like factory right now they are <laughs> they are these two guys are, are just going to play an incredibly fun brand of basketball that being said i went with miles powell because of his his i don't know ability to just score which Mar- marcus howard can do as well uh, but Marcus didn't do that in a big time situation last year. And I suppose neither did miles, but there miles Powell is in a, is a finalist for a wooden award, Naismith, even shooting guard of the year, all American average 23 last year. And I think that's actually going to increase with a, a better roster around him. The only thing that I'm afraid of is Kevin Willard. Kevin Willard in my estimation is kind of like the, uh, he's the biggies version of Mark Turgeon. Is kind of <laughs> how I see it. Like he's got well, he's suspended for the first two games of the year. Yeah, I saw that. It's I think it's only two games for. Oh, one is an exhibition. Excuse me. Yeah, so which the is first, fine. Whatever, first game in the year. But it, what was that for? That was for tampering, right? Tampering with Torian Thompson from Syracuse. Yeah. Yes. Whatever. Hey, good for Willard. He's trying to get nitty gritty, but who ended up on the team? Yeah, so a real punishment for him. All right, right. right. But, I mean, Miles Powell, I think, it, I don't want him to get hindered by Kevin Kevin Willard. Uh, you know, I think Wojo is a better coach than, than Willard is, and I think that might help uh, Marcus Howard. But but for Powell, I think a big difference that, uh, that he has and potentially an advantage is that he played with Team USA in the Pan Am games this offseason. Right. And he's got that international experience. He has those extra games uh, under his belt. And so he's he was able to go up against players that potentially could be better than the competition he's going up against the Big East. But this this right here is a coin flip, man. It, you, like you said, it was between Howard and Powell. But I'm going to go Miles this year because I think Seton Hall will ultimately be the better team. And I think he's going to have slightly better stats than Marcus. Sure. I mean, their stats are so similar. So similar. 23, 4, and 3, 25, 4, and 4. I mean, it's really splitting hairs. And I'd like to offer some insight analysis with some really deep numbers as to why one was going to win over the other. But there's a, I, I, there isn't any to, to, to produce a, a, a real prediction of who's going to be better. And I think your prediction is completely valid in saying, they're going to be the better team. Yep. He's going to win the guy. And I think my argument in saying he's going to have to do more. And if right. Marquette's good, it's it's going to be because he's good. It's an equally valid argument. It is. I just, I just foresee, and this is the way MVP voting goes, right? Like we look at Harden versus Antetokounmpo last year. The Bucks were the best team in all of basketball record-wise. So, and I actually, that may not be the best example because Giannis, I think, was better than, than Harden. Sure, but, sure, sure. But, you, but the Rockets fans are going to be saying, oh, it's only because he's on a winning team. Well, I think that carries weight with a lot of voters, and that's why I think Miles Powell, who has, in my opinion, a significantly better squad 
than oh, than Marquette. Yeah. Right. But I mean, if if well, so here if here Howard the- if Howard can take Marquette to the to the tournament though, oh. That, that, I, I think he's going that, to. I, I think he's actually, going to. You know what's going to happen, Taylor? This is exactly what's going to happen. Miles Powell is going to win Big East Player of the Year, but he's not going to be on. Uh, but he's not going to be on the All American roster. Marcus Howard is going to be on the All American ah. roster. He's not going to win Big East Player of the Year, and people one are going to be like, "How is that possible?" One of those old sw- voter switcheroos. Yeah. Well, I think there's an argument to be made that Marcus Howard is a more well-known commodity nationally. And Miles Powell is. I think Marquette, simply because of some of the successes they've had over the last ten to fifteen years, is a little more of a nationally well-known program than Seton Hall. Or uh, yeah, than Seton Hall. Seton Hall is a very much a northeastern type of program. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Marquette is kind of middle of the country, and I think they have a little more reach. And so I think even just that alone might just produce one or two more votes for a guy like Marcus Howard. Um, as we know, though, there is a large Eastern voter contingent in when it comes to college basketball and these awards. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, like I said, hate to beat a dead horse here, but there we could have made the same we could have made the same argument about either. Yeah, it was, complete right. complete toss up. But I will say, I am. All on the Miles Powell train, man. I fucking love this oh, guy. I I'm on both wait. their trains. If I could be yeah, on both no, of I'm their on, trains uh, at the yeah. same time, right? Yeah. Those Seton Hall Marquette games are going to be must-watch TV. Give me Gus Johnson. Give me Marcus Howard. Give me Miles Powell. I want everyone on the court to get that absolute fuck out of the way, by the way. Like, ISO. I need this to be ISO, ISO basketball <laughs> back and forth. Don't even, don't even set a screen. Just get out. Like, Go sit down. So I, I talked about how big uh, Xavier's program is, uh, their height is. And really, I meant that their guards are big. Um, their starting lineup isn't big as a whole. Seton Hall's lineup is big. They have seven footer, 6'10". That's, they have like an NBA uh, height on their roster. They have a 7'1 guy on the bench. Not that he, he's not any good, Roberto Gill. But... They've got some real height. They have Torian Thompson, who's also 6'10". He's going to be coming off the bench most likely. So they've got some height on that team. And that even that alone might uh, might lend itself to uh, Miles Powell getting one or two more looks on the offensive end after they grab some offensive rebounds or one, and two, one or two more easy buckets a game to get to one of their big guys down low. And just maybe one more assist per game than Marcus Howard might win that award. It's going to be critical. And I, I do think that the his surrounding cast members are going to be helpful in him winning the award. But I think this is a great segue into our regular season champ. And I'm actually going to kick it off. I think I'm so bought into Miles Powell. I think Seton Hall will win the Big East, actually. So this came down for me to it came down to Villanova and it came down to Seton Hall. And so I was saying to myself, do I want to bet against Jay Wright? Do I want to bet against goddamn Connor Gillespie? I think that is is it is it Connor Gillespie? No, he was the baseball player, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a Ryan Archidiacono uh, 2.0. I think they actually have Archie Colin Gillespie. Colin Gillespie. God damn it! They, like Villanova is actually. If I was a Big East, if I was a member of the Big East, I would hate Villanova <laughs> just for the oh, amount yeah. of success and like their point, whatever. But I'm gonna go with Seton Hall aforementioned miles powell he is their 
proverbial bell cow. He's going to be the guy that's shooting every big time shot and giving them the most production. Big thing for me, though, is that they bring back nine of their top 10 rotation players and eight out of nine scorers. That's the biggest thing. Uh, veteran leadership, guys that have tasted success before. That's my only, That was my only apprehension with, with Illinois. Illinois brings back a lot of these players, but they haven't really tasted success. Seton Hall had one of their best years last year. Obviously didn't work out in, in the tournament, but these are guys that have proven during the regular season that they can produce. And so now they're going to want to take that step further and who better to do it with than potentially the best shooting guard in the entire country in Powell. So they have a lot of experience coming back. You had referenced how big they are. I'm going to point out one transfer uh, from Florida state seven footer Ike Obiagu. Hmm. So huge get for, for Willard for that interior defense. And they are, they are quite large, but Florida state seems to always recruit these monstrous, like seven, two guys that cannot do anything. Where are they coming from? I, dude, I, I don't know, but they cannot do anything except for be huge, which is a commodity in, in college basketball. They just can't score. So that's a big get for him. I hate to harp on it, but this is going to come down to Kevin Willard. And so I personally think the Miles Powell effect will supersede the mismatching coaching between Jay Wright and Kevin Willard. So Kevin Willard has the guys now. He has the dudes. He has the horses. you got to go win this Big East title, and you need to go ahead and, and snatch it away from Villanova, who I think a lot of people, despite, again, still kind of being down, uh, plan to win this conference. So I got the regular season champs for Seton Hall uh, based on Miles Powell doing majority of the work, but also they're returning a lot of their core guys from last year. So to um, kind of echo off that same statement, they are bringing back 85% of their minutes played last year. And they're bringing back 87% of their scoring, which is the second highest amount in the country behind Colorado's 94% of their scoring that they're returning. So that's worth something in college basketball. Um, I could see Seton Hall winning this conference, but to beat this Kevin Willard dead horse, I could see this team not being well coached and really falling short of expectations a lot. To me, they have one of the highest ceiling, lowest floors of any of the teams that we have thought about for any of the conferences in winning the conference. So that being said, my debate between my winner of this conference was between three play or three teams. And that one of them was Xavier and the other was Villanova. And I went with Seton Hall as well. And the, the reason I went with Seton Hall, Seton Hall is the same reason that I, I couldn't pick Xavier and tell you about all of the returners and how good I think they're going to be because they're returning so much talent that they're old guys and then not pick Seton Hall for the, because it's the same exact reasoning. So I couldn't, I couldn't just do one and then tell you that they were going to, the one team was going to lose the conference for the same reason. Couldn't do that. So I have, I really, what put it over the top for me though, is uh, arguably uh, Villanova's best recruit, Brian Antoine, still hasn't practiced yet. He was arguably going to be a starter on that team and maybe arguably the best freshman on that team, a team that has a lot of unknowns because they don't return a lot of talent from last year. And so they have the best uh, recruit in in the conference in Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He's a forward stud, went to IMG Academy. 
They have another uh, another guard from Dematha, Justin Moore, who looks like he's going to be a starter for that team as well. But when Brian Antoine comes back, you if he comes back, because just the other day, Jay Wright said that still a possibility that he might redshirt. I mean, Brian Antoine is the type of guy that is a not a first-team all-conference selection, but he could be a third to second-team all-conference selection. He's that good. Same with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But so for me... Real quick, before you dive ahead. into Seton Hall, what's going on the past two years with these high-profile recruits for Villanova? You got Javon Quinterly last year, who barely saw the floor. He's transferred now at Alabama, can't play this year. And now this latest disaster. Well, I tell you what, that is going to be the problem with this team is if Javon Quinterly would have worked out to be the stud that he was anticipated to be, this would be far and away the team that I would have picked to win this conference. Because you would, you would have had returning guards and Connor Gillespie, or Colin, Colin Gillespie, God damn it, Subi. Sorry. Colin Gillespie and Javon Quinterly, who last year was five-star recruit, thought of as the guy, the next great Villanova point guard. Now you have two or three freshmen that are really, really good, and they have the far and away the, the best recruiting class of, of this conference. Um, they have a great name in Sadiq Bay. I, I love that. Could be an R and B singer's name, Sadiq Bay. Oh, don't but, don't don't forget a uh, Cosby Roundtree. Oh uh, yeah, Demir. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and of course, the biggest point or the biggest thing to talk about for Villanova's team this year, and they're going to win this conference next year for sure going to win the conference in 2020-21. And that's because they have another R2-Diakono on the team, Chris R2-Diakono. He's already there? I thought I thought this was going to take a, another year or so. Nope, he's on the roster. So you know, God damn it. So you know that team is winning the conference next year. Yeah. So when we one year from today when we preview the Big East again, I don't see any way, way shape, or form that Villanova is not going to be the far and away best team in this conference. There's just a lot of unknowns to me this year, especially with uh, someone like Brian Antoine being hurt and maybe not even playing. So that's why I went with Seton Hall. Because as we said, they are big and they are old as shit. Like these guys are ready to retire from the NBA already. That's how old they are. And so I can't, I couldn't get around, despite the fact that I am not a, a Kevin Willer believer, that they have the least variables of any of the teams in this conference and that in in a nutshell to me has always been what big east basketball kind of is like i like we said when we started this podcast old men grinding out wins in the cold in the northeast and that's for me you have a star in miles powell and you have a bunch of a big surrounding cast of old guys who are huge and, and that's going to be what wins this conference in my mind. But that being said, this is still a 10 seed that lost to Wofford in the first round of the tournament last year. There's, there's no reason that Villanova, if all of their freshmen work out, can't win this conference as well. And my argument that tra- for Travis Steele being the coach of the year would be that he is literally just a better coach than Kevin Willard, and he brings his team together along more quickly than... Uh, than Willard could. Oh and, yeah, Willard, Willard's been in charge for ten years, and it's like the past two years have been the only time we've heard about Seton Hall. Well, yeah, you think okay, so they're in one of the best recruiting grounds in the country. They are a kind of old school, classic college basketball school. 
there's a reason why they are not good and haven't been good for years. And where it's a top-down, it's always a top-down thing in college basketball. And that is coaching down through the players. And there's an argument to be made that this team isn't even as talented as their team from two or three years ago. Sure. And they didn't do anything either. So I... I th- I think I see this team as the highest ceiling and lowest floor of any of the teams considered in that top four of the conference, in my opinion. It's going to be interesting, man. This is the Big East has a lot of intrigue. I'm still only tuning in, or I shouldn't say only tuning in, but mostly tuning in for Miles Powell versus Marcus Howard. Right. That is going to be circled on my calendar. I hopefully I don't know how many times they play, but. Big East, game, Big East games are going to be the classic sitting there watching, trying to explain to your girlfriend why there's why the game is 53 to 52 and there's been 153 fouls called during the game. And so I love just, it. Yeah, I love it. So you got to grind it out. Okay. Dwayne so, Wade, I love it. Yeah. Hey, fall down, fall down eight, get up nine. So I, I, I think that there's going to be a couple surprise teams in this conf- conference. I think a team like Georgetown because mm-hmm. I really like James uh, Akinjo. I really like uh, Mac McClung. I Go ahead. I was just going to say, once we get to our starting five, if we are still somehow doing this in like 10 years, Mac McClung is going to be It'll on be, my starting yeah, five. Yeah, we're going to pencil him in there, right. Mac right. McClung is so sick. That's, so, who uh, that's also who I'll be tuning into. Can we, can, we pick, can we pick active players in our – all-time starting five. Yeah, if you so- want. Sophomores, no less. <laughs> it's just McClung's in a tough conference, man, because the starting five, I think, of uh, who we're going to get to, there's just too many names. And McClung, right. McClung's awesome. and He hasn't really done anything, but right. I, I um, hope he does. So, you know, I think a big key to Georgetown's success is going to be Omer Yurtsevin transfer from nc state it's a guy that i followed for a long time because he was a an arizona recruit uh i remember years ago yeah for turkey is where he's from and he's big dude seven footer and you would think with someone like patrick ewing as your head coach that if you got a seven footer you might be able to know how to use him he's a big enough talented enough guy i'm not saying he's like some stud all-star type of talent but i i feel like he's got he's going to be the key factor to take Georgetown to being maybe a surprise team in this conference. And I have them making the tournament as well. I have, uh, how many teams do I have? Making? I have seven teams from the big East making the tournament. It's Nova hall, Javier Marquette, Providence, Georgetown, and my boys in Omaha. Creighton. Creighton. That's a lot of teams, man. That's 16 teams between this and who, who else did you say? The Big 12? Correct. Correct. That's a lot of teams. Big 10. Big 10. Was it Big 10? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't have because I don't have I have the Big 10 or the Big the Big 12 and the ACC probably having one less. Less, yeah. So I, they have to come from somewhere. Um I think that a team like it's interesting when you look at the this conference because uh, we've not to belabor this point, but every team just has so many returners, and those all almost always means in college basketball that their team gets better. 
and notably better. You look at all of the mid-major, let's take mid-major schools, for example. You look at the when North Dakota states of the world make the tournament. You look at their roster. They're it's all, all seniors. seniors and juniors, yeah. right? Even their best player, like a guy like Mike Dom, South Dakota State. Right. You look, you look at all these guys, and rarely is it Steph Curry's of the world who came in there and all right. of a sudden just started lighting the world on fire as like a freshman and sophomore. Right. You've got, you got guys that have been there forever, have stuck in the system forever. And so... That reigns true throughout college basketball, though. You you have to have some kind of continuity if you want to be successful. I think that even though we are still in the one-and-done era of college basketball, we're on the backslide of the one-and-done era in college basketball because these teams who have all the one-and-done talent aren't, aren't real. They're making it to the top, but they're not winning anything. Well, let's, so- let's, let's look at the last four national title winners, right? Virginia. Come on, juniors and seniors. Uh, juniors and seniors. Two Villanova teams. Pretty juniors much and seniors. seniors and seniors. Right. And then that Carolina team was led by Joel Berry. Right. Senior. Senior. So, right. I mean, I we could go back to college basketball. And obviously, this would be true. There was a little era there of the of the really good Duke and Kentucky teams of those early two thousand tens. You know, right, and that was kind of the prime era of the one and done. Yeah, and, I, I think it was like Anthony Davis and then Jalil Okafor. So yeah, I, yeah, that's right. true. And they, so those were all freshmen. And so I think there's a lot of reasons that you can even look to, like a team like Butler, who was awful last year, and just look at them and go, "Well, shit, they return about damn near everybody. Why wouldn't they be better this year?" But that's why I think as a whole, this entire conference is going to be notably better as a whole on a not just as, a, as an umbrella statement but just as a quality of game on a night-to-night basis this team is going to have a lot of players who have played at least a year or two in the big east now and understand what is going on in the conference now a reason why another reason why i think georgetown has the ability to surprise some folks in the conference is they have the the toughest strength of schedule in the out-of-conference or non-conference uh, games. So that is going to give them a good indication early, good tests. Whereas, you know, you look at a St. John's last year, St. John's was 12 and 0 heading into conference play last year. Nobody really bl- believed in them. Right, right, right. And they tanked out once they, they got were, into conference play. They were, I mean, uh, yeah, they, they, they did beat, oh no, they came close to beating Villanova, but I, I was going to say that they tanked out in the first round, the play-in game against a- ASU. Right. Quite literally one of the worst shooting performances I've ever seen from Mustafa Heron and right. uh, who, who else am I thinking of their other stud? I forget, but if just you, terrible. Uh, Shamari Pons. Shamari Pons. Thank you. They if were you, both awful. If you can tank out and still make the tournament, that's what they did last year. So I think Georgetown is going to be, Georgetown is going to be opposite this year. I think we're going to see them as something like a seven and four and out of conference play eight and three. But then they surprise a couple teams in conference because they've had the toughest. They would have had the toughest schedule leading up to that. So Ewing made them competitive too. Like Patrick Ewing, the reason why they're getting these difficult out of conference games, I feel like that is the Ewing effect. Right. Right. So what do we? Did you consider our boy Ed Cooley at all for uh, coach, coach of, the, of year? the year? Thought about it. I actually think so. He's got a all conference player in Alpha Diallo. Yeah. And then they also have. Uh, <laughs> Fuck it, I'm going to make the joke. The Grand Wizard, David Duke. They do have a player <laughs> on their team named David Duke. That's very unfortunate for him. Uh, he is black. Uh, but <laughs> but regardless, I, I, I love Ed Cooley, man. I think he is. And we'll get more uh, from our special guest later today. But Ed Cooley is 
like just is such a player's player's coach. But I didn't think that he was going to win coach of the year because I think for Cooley to win coach of the year, he's somewhere in between uh, a Jay Wright and a Travis Steele in terms of expectations. His expectations aren't super high like Jay Wright's, which is national title, but they're not as low as Travis Steele's. Like he's been in doing this gig for far more uh, than two years, which is what Steele has under his belt, actually just one year. So I think Cooley is somewhere in between and he needs to win the Big East title. If he wins the Big East title, regular season title, I'll give it to him. Like yeah. I think he'll, oh, he'll yeah. have deserved it. But Travis Steele, if he can get his team to a top three type of finish, and if cool, let's say, let's say if it goes like this, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Let's say if it goes Seton Hall, Nova, Providence, right? Then I think it's definitely between Kevin Willard and uh, Kevin Willard and uh, Ed Travis, Travis Steele. Oh, no. so, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Travis okay, right. Yeah, so if it goes, me. if it goes Hall, Nova, uh, Xavier, it's between those three. Yeah, right. And that's and that's kind of why going back. That's why I picked Travis Steele in the first place as my coach of yeah. the year. Right. So they, you know, they do have a really big transfer there. They want Pipkins. Pipkins from. From uh, from UMass, he averaged 16 points a game last year. Uh, another grad transfer, and just I, I mean I hate to say it again, but just another old old squad there for Providence. Uh, redshirt senior, sophomore, sophomore, senior, junior, senior, senior, senior. So I mean you just got another team. That's an old team. They're not very big. Uh, Luan Pipkins, Luan Pipkins is only five eleven. Um, but that doesn't that's not necessarily here nor there in college basketball. Um do you they're have gonna a, play they're gonna play sorry, real quick. Providence is gonna play spoiler to a lot of teams like Marquette and maybe maybe no, so not Marquette, but Seton Hall, Nova. The dunk is a very difficult place to play basketball. And so I could see a team that's kind of on a roll tripping up against Providence. Do you have uh do you have any prediction on how many teams from this conference make the tournament? So if I have seven, are you saying that you are thinking that there's going to be less than that? I think, I think I'm looking at five or six. Okay. So you, so you're only maybe looking at one more team than last year when they had four. I, I, I think that this conference has to have gotten better just from all the returners alone to get more than just one one more team than last year into the tournament. Yeah. I want Georgetown to make the jump. I'm just a little wary on that. So but, they're kind of like, they're kind of like the hot pick to, to be the surprise team, even in the country, they're yeah. like the hot pick, but we know how that always works out. They, that, that works out by like, they lose four of their first five games <laughs> in the conference. And then everybody forgets about them. Yeah. I think, I think my three biggest lot, two of them are absolute locks in Seton hall and Nova. And then I'll throw Xavier right behind them. Xavier and PC Providence. So that's four right there. Uh, yeah, and then I'll say I'll say Georgetown. But that's about it for me. I, I don't nope. know if Marquette makes the makes the. You don't think man. Marcus Howard can bring him to the? Okay, I'll give it to him six, and that's okay. a stretch for me. Okay. okay. So that, like it's either a stretch with with Marquette or Georgetown. So. Oh. I'm going okay. to go a strenuous six. I think you're really undervaluing Creighton then, I would argue. Some people Most have, likely, yeah. Yeah, right. I think some people have them as a top 30 team in the country. Uh, they have 
three guys, four guys that average over 10 points a game that are coming back at Tyshawn Alexander, who averaged 16 points a game last year. He's a potential all-conference type of player. You have Marcus Zagorowski, great name. Uh, he averaged 10 points a game last year. I, You know, they have a kind of a smaller roster. You're going to have four guys starting that are under 6'5", and then with their center, Jacob Epperson, in the middle, he's 6'10", but he's kind of a... I don't want to say he's a nothing player, but he's just kind of there. The other guys are the scores. They do have a big transfer from Southeast Missouri who averaged 19 points a game, and that's Denzel Mahoney. That's and another senior, six foot 11, uh, Kelvin Jones, transfer from Idaho State Bengals who averaged 10 points a game up there in Idaho last year. Here's my po- thing, po- Pocatello, Idaho. My sister got her grad degree from Idaho State, so shout out Pocatello, Idaho. That's the, the Vandals, worst, right? The worst. No, no, no. Uh, Idaho is the Vandals. The ah. Idaho State Bengals. Oh, oh, my fault. Pocatello might be the worst city in this otherwise great country, but they, I think you're I think you're underrating a team like Creighton, who has only two freshmen joining this roster, and I I I think that they're going to be a little better than anticipated. I think that is that it's going to be between Georgetown and Creighton as my seventh team from this conference that makes the tournament. Then uh, that's fine. Then I'll sub out Marquette. I just don't think all three. If you tell me Creighton, Marquette, and Georgetown are all making the tournament, I will say that you're a liar. I think two of those teams get in. And so it very well may be. I don't know who the odd man out is just yet, but I'm leaning towards Creighton because, to be brutally honest, those transfers don't mean shit to me because they played in no name conferences with no names teams. That's, I mean, that's just me being honest, right? So a guy like Ike Obiagu, who, probably can't do anything on a basketball court, but is seven feet and has played in the ACC, played at Florida State, I'm going to have more faith in to protect the interior because he's been going up against the likes of like goddamn Zion Williamson. Right. right? And, sure. And, and some other guys. So uh, it's it's going to be – it's going to – so we should, we should write this down. You say seven teams, I'll say six. Yeah. The okay. line is at six and a half. I'll take the under. Okay. Okay. I'm taking the over. And, you know, really, it, it has a lot to do with that. I, I think if, I am, if I'm rolling with my theme of returners and then also Marcus Howard being the co- player of the year, then mm-hmm. obviously they can't miss the tournament if, right. if he's not the player of the year. And then if I think this conference is going to be so much better as a whole because they have so many returners, then I think that they're going to, yeah, almost double the amount of tournament teams they had last year just simply because of all of the, all of the new coaches that came in last year are not new anymore. And all the new players that came in last year are not new anymore. We have very few, very few freshmen in this conference. Providence has one freshman on the whole team. And that's crazy in this world of college basketball that we live in now, where the turnover is so high. There are Villanova is the only team that has like freshmen in this conference that are any good. Which is kind of funny to say when you talk about Villanova, right? Because they're typically the ones with the experience. And you, it's not like they don't have talent. They had a top 10 guy go with with Mikhail Bridges. but And obviously a first-rounder in DiVincenzo. But mm-hmm. these are this is a team that you're accustomed to building off the backs of leadership, senior, junior, like Eric Paschal, like a Phil Booth, like a right. Jalen Brunson. So the Big right. East is going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Travis Steele, we both have as our coach of the year. You have Marcus Howard for player of the year. I have Miles Powell. And we both have the Hall for regular season champ. And I'm, I am in agreement with you that that's me putting a lot of faith in the Hall and Kevin Willard. Like, 
don't fuck this up, man. Mm-hmm. Do not do not compromise my my love. Well, this is a classic example of if you don't do it now, then when? Yeah, yeah. Windows windows shut. Like this is your and if you're Seton Hall, it's tough. This is going to be a team that if they're not really good this year and they don't live up to expectations, they're going to be constantly stuck in the middle. It's going to be, do we fire Kevin Willard even though he has put some good teams out there? Or do we get rid of him? Because you can't get rid of him after, say, a Sweet 16 or whatever because there's going to be some Seton Hall fans who are like, well, wait. When are we ever better than this? Yeah, exactly. Right. But then you're going to have some who go like, no, this guy has reached his ceiling. We we can't get over the top with this guy. If we can't get over the top with a national player of the year candidate and a bunch of 23-year-olds around him, then when are we ever going to do it? Insult to injury as well. And it happens with a lot of, pe- a lot of players, but it's kind of a wasted year for Miles Powell because you don't know what's going to happen in the tournament. That's That's kind of a wash. But Miles Powell coming back has the sole expectation of, I mean, he bypassed the draft and he came back and he said, I'm going to win the Big East Player of the Year and win the Big East. If you don't do that, if you don't win the Big East in his return, it's kind of a wasted year for Powell. Oh, so. yeah, because his stock wasn't going to get any higher than last exactly. year. Exactly. Same, same with Marcus Howard, though, too. It's like, when was his stock going to get higher when he scored, if he scored 20? Eight points a game this year. You know we know like we know who you are already, and so that both of, the, both of those guys have the same exact thought. Where it's like, well, I guess it can't get much lower though. Either is maybe the unless you get hurt or just have right. Kevin or have they're, Kevin Willard as your coach. So <laughs> they're pretty much stuck in their positions. Uh, perfect. So let's go ahead and get started on our starting five. But before we do that. A quick message from the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, starting five. I had mentioned this a little bit before, Taylor, but this is probably going to be my most enjoyable starting five. It definitely was when prepping for this and doing my research because some of the names are just awesome. I could I could go down an absolute rabbit hole of every single original Big East team and their rosters. I'm talking like mid-2000s, late-2000s, early-2000s, even like six years ago. Some of these names are fantastic. So I'll start with you. You're starting five of Big East players. Jeez, the Big East even has people that beat my favorite teams in like tournaments and stuff that I didn't, don't even hate, I, that, I lo- that I love, or at least loved in college. So there was some difficulty to this list, though. Because it was determining when these teams were actually in the Big East. You know, I had scratched out a couple of players that I had accidentally put on there, but their team had only joined the Big East the year after, or they right. had left the Big East the year before. So that was tough. So I do have two players on my list that of teams that aren't in the Big East anymore, but they were in the Big East when uh, when. They played, excuse me. So, but I'm going to go with first. Uh, we, we've talked about this guy on this program before, and I'm going to go with my man, Scotty Reynolds from Villanova. He is just the consummate, quintessential college point guard, big game point guard. That I mean, is there a school in the country, even right now today, that wouldn't benefit from having a Scotty Reynolds as their lead guard? No. No. Maybe Michigan State, right? That would be. 
maybe the only team in the country who couldn't use someone like a Scotty Reynolds. Um, and so that's what I, I his big shot against uh, Pitt. against Pitt there in the tournament was massive uh, in the to get them to lead eight. That was a great year for Villanova. I remember I was driving home from a an elite game eight game in Phoenix watching a Hashim the beat UConn team go to the elite eight that year. Another Big East team at that time. So, but I'm going to go with Scotty Reynolds. I loved Scotty Reynolds in college. I think you did too. Scotty Reynolds was awesome, man. Scotty Reynolds, the way I would put it, is he ran so that Jalen Brunson could walk. Right. No, there isn't there isn't this current Villanova success without a guy like Scotty Reynolds not setting it up, but kind of creating that atmosphere Huge for the future guys. Yeah, right. Huge contributor. He he was the first, I would say the first guy to really say, like, this is for, for Jay Wright to say, like, this is what we do. And we're going to do it over and over and over again every year. And so that's kind of Scotty Reynolds is, is, even though he's not that old of a guy, he is kind of one of the uh, pillars of the Villanova basketball program in my, in my mind. Certainly. I mean, if there was a guy that you were to build a statue of outside of the stadium that wasn't on the most recent championship team, it's Scotty Reynolds. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. So next on my list is a guy that I loved – when he was in college and really thought highly of uh, when he got to the NBA as well. Uh, he's super versatile and that's Otto Porter Jr. from Georgetown. I love an absolute like versatile play all five positions in college. Not all five, maybe four. Pretty or five much everything positions. but point guard. Just a do everything Swiss army knife. Otto Porter is like six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, maybe even knock. He, he could knock down a three. He's not like a prolific shooter by any means, but he could knock it down. He was a decent passer, good defender, and he played a lot of positions for that Georgetown team. Uh, I was really high on him when he came out of the draft. He was drafted number three, number three overall. I'm still a believer of him in the NBA as well. Uh, but I, I just loved Otto Porter Jr. in college. I think Otto Porter still has a nice niche in the NBA. I think he's on the Bulls now. Either, either the Bulls or the Wizards. I forget which which team he's most recently on. Also looks like Lionel Richie has that going for him as well. But the best thing Otto Porter ever delivered to me, and it wasn't necessarily him by himself, but it was that Georgetown team that lost to Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, He was on that Florida Gulf Coast losing Georgetown team. And I can't thank him enough for choking in that game. Right. You know, I mean, there's so many reasons you can put people on these lists. You know, he is on the Bulls now. He was on the drafted and played for the Wizards for the previous six years before that. Think about that. Six years, Otto Porter Jr. has already been in the NBA. Crazy. Uh, but he was a consensus first team All American at Georgetown and he was the biggest player of the year. I, I, I really loved him in college. So, other people I was going to have on my list when I instantly thought of this were like Dwayne Wade or which obviously wasn't in the Big East at that time. Uh, Terrence Williams was a guy I had on the list too, but the Louisville, but Louisville was not in the Big East on that time. That was the one guy that we just missed by a year. But so one guy that I did go with of a team that isn't in the conference anymore. We have to go way back a little bit here, and that's Hakeem Work. Oh yeah, Syracuse. I loved Hakeem Work. And he's, uh, in a way, you could argue he's very similar to, to Otto Porter. In today's world, Hakeem Warwick would leave after his sophomore year and be drafted in the first round. He was a four-year player at Syracuse, one Big East player of the year. 
and what made the key block in that national championship game with Carmelo Anthony. I, again, just a, a long, versatile, athletic, uh, you know, small forward that you could slide him to the two. You could play him at the four. You can knock down outside shots. You play defense. Really loved Hakeem Work. You know what's awesome about Hakeem Work and specifically that shot block? And we talk about all these tournament plays that you'll see in a montage highlight, right, before the actual tournament starts or even before a Saturday CBS game with Jim Nance. They have these incredible, iconic, memorable plays. And everyone remembers Carmelo Anthony winning that national title as a freshman. You won't see Carmelo Anthony's pretty much anything in that montage, maybe him holding the trophy. But what you will see is Hakeem closing out like an absolute psychopath in the corner and making one of the best, greatest defensive championship level plays you will ever see. I truly don't think that play, because it's not as sexy as a Zion dunk, it's not as cool as a wet three-pointer from Steph Curry, that play does not get enough uh, love as it should in terms of what college basketball and how, you know, how you win college basketball games. It's plays like that and it won them a championship. 100%. 100%. That's every, every team, again, would be better with a guy like, like Hakeem Warwick on it. Now, for my next pick, this guy's not – he didn't spend a lot of time in the Big East, and I may have picked him only on his name alone. But I have a question for you, Subi, and that is – how can you be Mo Harkless? Oh, wow. So I went with Mo Harkless here as uh, my fourth pick. Uh, another versatile player, as we're seeing here in this. He's more a little more of a big man than everybody else, but uh, he's not big in, in stature compared to everybody else. Uh, he, for his freshman year, he was the Big East Rookie of the Year, 6'7", 220, born in New York, went to school in New York, just kind of your classic New York Big East basketball player, tough, gritty. That team wasn't really – well, none of these St. John's teams are really that good. But simply because of his name alone and the fact that he was really good in, in, in conference, we averaged 16 points a game uh, at St. John's, and that was how can you be Mo Harkless? Mo Harkless, man, I'm happy for him. He was kind of wallowing away in Orlando. Then he got traded to the Blazers. They obviously went to the Western Conference Finals last year, and he played a pretty pivotal role. Now he upgraded to potential championship aspirations with the Clippers. So quite a glow up there. He fits that Clippers team just perfectly. He is – you want to talk about a guy like Scotty Reynolds and Hakeem Warwick who you want on your college team? I want Mo Harkless on my NBA team. Well, if you look, he wasn't that heralded, say, as even just a college player. But there's a reason that this dude has stuck it out for seven-plus years in the NBA. This is a type of guy that you look at, and after like 15 years, you go, man, Mo Harkless is still in the league, but he's still there averaging like eight and five off the bench in 20 minutes a game like he has his entire career. And he will continue to do that because his game isn't based on being a more super athletic than anybody or be more skilled than anybody. He's just a guy that knows his role perfectly in the NBA and he sticks it out. Good defender guy. That's going to stick around in the NBA for a while. But uh, yeah, Mo Harkless from St. John's was my fourth pick. And this one, Sue, my last pick might be a little controversial. 
for you. And if you hear a winter wind blowing in your ear, it might not actually be the weather. It might not. It might be Lance Stevenson standing next to you. <laughs> that's no. That's a fantastic pick. And that's, so why is that controversial? He was in the Big East, wasn't he? Well, I'm just saying not not everybody loves Lance Stevenson or even loved Lance Stevenson at his time in in Cincinnati. I love Lance Stevenson. That's a great pick. Born ready, Lance Stevenson was supposed to be the second coming of uh, New York basketball Jesus. It's the second coming of Sebastian Telfair, really. Uh, he played for Cincinnati, was the Big East Rookie of the Year. He was uh, in McDonald's All-American in high school. He was New York Mr. Basketball. Nobody, I mean, he went to Abraham Lincoln High School in Brooklyn. This guy just screams New York basketball. And more than anything else, though, it's, it's his personality. It's Lance can make you dance. It's his time with, <laughs> it's blowing in LeBron's ear. I know that's not college. I know, whatever. Have Get at me on Twitter if we don't agree with my, that I'm allowed to use his, his NBA uh, antics for this list, but I'm going to. I did really love him at, uh, at Cincinnati. He was a guy that I really wanted Sean Miller to recruit to Arizona because that was right at the time where that turnover in our program was happening. Sean Miller... A, a, it came from Xavier, uh, a Big East Cincinnati area guy in Sean Miller who played for Pitt. And I'm like, oh, man, let's get Lance Stevenson. Sean doesn't go for a lot of personalities like Lance Stevenson, so we didn't, act, you know, we, we didn't recruit him as hard as I wanted to. But there's just a lot of fun, a lot of fun that you can have with Lance Stevenson on, the, on your court. Man, I love that pick. Yeah. That might be my favorite one out of all the – conference picks thus far because everyone knows about lance's antics in the nba he was i mean i think he only spent one year at cincinnati but he was still correct he was still such a clown at cincinnati too oh 100 percent. yeah big clown big clown so about this team from this team is a legit squad i think i think we got you know my my uh big 10 team sucked they weren't winning any games but this team with scotty reynolds uh you're playing Lance Stevenson at the two. You got Mo Harkless and Hakeem Warwick as your stretch fours. And you have Otto Porter would have to play your stretch five in, in a college basketball setting. But from a college basketball standpoint, that's a really fucking good roster. Even I mean, even from an NBA sta- setting in terms of players that have done anything in the league, right? Harkless, Porter, and Lance Stevenson have all contributed at so, some point. So of my roster, four of them were the freshmen of the year in the Big East Conference. There you go. I don't know that's, what that means. I don't know what that means. pretty good. But, yeah. So, and then Hakeem Warwick was the player of the year his senior year. So. And a national champion, yeah. That's yeah. pretty damn good. Not A lot of talent. A lot of talent on that roster. Wait, so hold on real quick. Hakeem Warwick won Big East player of the year over Carmelo? No, no, no. Uh, Hakeem won it his uh, senior year. Oh, so he wasn't a senior when when Mello was on the team. He was only a sophomore. Shit, man. Yeah, you're right. Going back to your point about leaving early, he, he should have left the second he blocked that. Like the second his fingertips touched the ball, I'd be like, all right, I'm out. Yeah, this I mean, the highest my draft stock's going to be. His sophomore year, he averaged 15, 9, 2, 2, and 2. It's not too shabby. In today's world, he gone yeah. and he and he's a lottery pick. But it, it, it uh, you know, he stayed even his junior year, he averaged 20 and nine 
And then his senior year, he averaged 21 and nine. And you're like, dude, that's a, nowadays you'd be like, go. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? But there is also a reason why he stuck around in the NBA for so long. And that could be because he developed his game to such a high extent at Syracuse. And I think he's still playing now. He's in the G League now, I think. He's one of those guys that now also won't leave. Yeah. Like, dude, that's, give it up. That's, it's clearly always been his problem going back to college. Didn't, yeah. Didn't necessarily leave. All right. Sure. So let's see how my starting five stacks up with yours. I'm going to first and foremost start with some muscle. And that's not a figurative you know, speech right there, legitimate muscle. Uh, I'm going to go with Craig Smith, center from Boston College. Growing up in the Boston area, BC, this was when they were good, man. Al Skinner, Jared Dudley, these guys were final four contenders. And then the wheels just completely came off once they got rid of Al Skinner. But Craig Smith was a monster. He looks like one of those huge goons that is a bouncer at the club. If you think, <laughs> if you think DeWan Blair had big arms, Nothing compared to Craig Smith. Just your quintessential football player's body playing basketball. But every time, single time you play pickup with a football player, they suck. All they do is set screens and maybe get a rebound. Not Craig Smith. Craig Smith was an actual contributor to those Boston College teams who, who I grew up you know, really watching. And uh, he was from Englewood. California. This was back yeah, man. I'll, I'll, he was absolutely up to no good. But this is this is uh, going back to when Al Skinner in BC had a pipeline in Southern California. He, him being from Inglewood, uh, Jared Dudley being from San Diego. There were a just, lot of other recruits co- coming across the country. It's just ridiculous. Why? Why would you want to go to like Skinner, the, man? The snowy Northeast from LA when you've got. Literally every single other school in the country is between you and there. But hey, I'm not. That's not hating. I'm just. That's just. That's just maps. Look, it was. Just, it was just yeah. an atlas. Let's just it, look at an atlas. It was the Al Skinner. It was the Al Skinner effect, man. He was just an absolute beast of a man. So, Craig Smith, starting center. Uh, he is also my team security. He is getting me into different clubs, things like that. <laughs> that's after, perfect. Yeah. After him, I'm gonna go Dougie McDieselski. Oh. Doug. A, a, a big consideration I had as well. Love Doug McDermott, man. I need a shooter. I am I am just such a slut for shooters, and Doug McDermott is one of the greatest college basketball shooters of all time. He is one of the greatest college basketball scorers of all time. He's sixth uh, in those rankings, and he played for his dad. I love those stories because we mentioned on last episode we have Stephen Izzo playing for Tom Izzo. A lot of the times you see kids playing for their dads, but they kind of suck. Yeah. They don't really, they don't do anything. Duck McDermott is probably the greatest basketball player in Creighton history. It's either him or like Kyle Korver, another great white shooter. But Dougie McDermott was appointment television, man. He was kind of like the college Steph Curry. You go on Twitter and if Duck McDermott hits three threes in a row, no matter what game you're watching, you flip the channel to see what McDermott's doing. This is what we used to do with Steph before he broke his hand. Get better, mm. big guy. But Doug McDermott uh, earns a spot on my roster. After him, I'm going to go with Ryan Gomes. Mm. 
one of the most underappreciated Big East players in the in the entire conference. Silky smooth player at six seven could move well and averaged eight and nine. He kind of reminded me of or Otto Porter reminded me of Ryan Gomes when you brought up some of his numbers and 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 his physical attributes. But Ryan Gomes on the block, man, when he would back you down and do a little fadeaway jumper, it was it was very very pretty. He was the guy that really put Providence on the map for me personally. Providence had been on the map. I had referenced Dave Gabbett before. They went to a Final Four with Billy Donovan as a player and Rick Patino coaching. But that was in like 80, 88, 87, I forget. But right. watching basketball, it was Ryan Gomes. And watching him play in the dunk and then get drafted to the Celtics, Ryan Gomes was an awesome, awesome ball player. And he are, definitely <laughs> earns a spot in uh, Providence lore. So, hundred percent, great pick. I love that pick. Love, love Ryan Gomes. After him, we're gonna go a little comedy here. I could not leave off my boy Levance Puppy Dog uh, Fields. Man, I, I loved Levance Fields. Levance Fields, a honorary member of the Van Wilder House. He was at Pitt for like twenty years. Uh, and I just got, I just got thicker the whole time. So short and stout. <laughs> Show sort and stout, man. Like just, oh, it would take a hefty breeze to blow over Levance Fields, and he just looked like a puppy dog. That was the <laughs> funniest part, man. Especially when he had the long, long cornrows. He and, and I was thinking about it. I was like, what, what kind of dog? Like, what breed of dog does he look like? And he looks like a Cavalier puppy. <laughs> Cavalier King Charles, huh? That is what Levance Fields was. This has zero. To, I mean, he was a good point guard too. Let's let's not uh, oh, no, walk over that fact. He was a really good point guard for those awesome pit teams with Jamie Dixon. But this Carl, or excuse me, Levance Fields had to be on my team. But he led me down a rabbit hole, and I think we could do a starting five of hilarious pit basketball players' names. Oh, a hundred percent. It was something that I was doing leading up to the show. I mean, we could just do it for fun. Like, we got to kill some time. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking, Dewan Blair is easily the one that's more, more recognizable. But then you go down to like Sam Young, you go to Gilbert Brown. Sam Young, who was 55 years old. No, you know who was older? Carl Krauser. Oh, oh, wow. Uh, you got Brad Wanamaker, your boy. I He was, yep, Brad Wanamaker out of all these guys getting actually in the NBA. Ashton Gibbs, like, uh, why can't I think of uh, who Kemba crossed up? Uh, something McGee, Jermaine McGee. <laughs> why? Why can't I think of it's, that? It's it's something McGee. I know that if you if you Google it, I, it's and it begins with a J. So I'm so like it. I really just want to jump up and say Javale McGee, but it's not <laughs> Javale McGee. Well, why can't I think of his name? I, oh, I thought it, you were looking it up. I, I am. This is is it, re- this is, is it really not bad. Jermaine? This is really bad of me. Uh, when, what was that? 2011. I'm just gonna say McGee Kemba crossover. I'm sure. I'm hoping there are listeners right now going like screaming at their heads. Gary McGee. Gary Jesus McGee. Christ. Yeah, Gary. I McGee. was wrong. Even that. Even that team alone had Brad Wanamaker. It had Ashton Gibbs. It had Trevon Woodall. Trayvon Woodall. Holy smokes. Yeah, and that wasn't even that long ago. No, they they that was actually I think the first year that Butler got to the national title game, or maybe the second. But that's correct. That Butler be Butler beat them. Yes, correct. So have to go with Levance Puppy Dog Fields, and then I'm going to round it out with 
arguably the greatest postseason collegiate basketball player ever, King Kemba Walker. What do you say about Kemba, man? Well, I only kept him off my list because I knew one of us was going to put him on the list. I'm glad you kept him off your list because I was going to go with him regardless, dude. Despite the fact that he broke our hearts in the Elite Eight, I had so much fun watching Kemba Walker do what he did in the postseason. That UConn team, like every other UConn national champion, sucked going into the postseason. And then they just turned it on. What did they win, nine in a row? They they had to, I think so. They had to win the Big East tournament to get a bid. Yeah, that's exactly what Kemba Walker did. Thank you, by the way, for that segue with Gary McGee, because that was the Big East title game in Madison Square Garden. It doesn't get bigger than that. I said that at the top of this program. You talk about coming up clutch and carrying a team on its back. It's Kemba Walker. At least like Shabazz Napier, that championship team, he had Jeremy Lamb along with him. Kemba. It's, I mean, he had some help, but Kemba Walker was the reason why that UConn team won a national title. And the, the thing with Kemba is that he has a signature move. He has a signature move that everyone knows, and it's that Gary McGee shot. It's in the garden, and he capped it off with a title. Uh, the only thing that he doesn't have, though, is a signature move in the NCAA tournament. I feel like people forget that his shot against McGee was just to win the Big East title. But Kemba Walker, hold man, give hold, hold the phone. Oh, am I being checked? That was in the quarterfinals. I thought that was to win the title. No, that was in the quarterfinals. Jesus they, Christ! So they still had to beat uh, Louisville in the final that year too, and that Louisville team was sick as well. I mean, it was. Well, I, I said it was really good. Yeah. So that they that wasn't even in the final. That's how crazy that was. Is th- like they played. That's but that's how bad they were. They played the number three team in the country, Pitt, in the quarterfinals of the tournament. You've got to be kidding me, man! It, UConn. Is and then sh- they had to beat. Then they had to beat Syracuse, and then they had to beat Louisville. That school is. They just have a golden spoon stuck up their ass. So they beat number twenty-two Georgetown, number three Pitt, number eleven Syracuse, and number fourteen Louisville to win the ship. Do you want to shout out Alex Oriaki while we're here? Or- oh yeah, Alex Oriaki, baby, Westford, or excuse me, Lowell, Lowell player. Little story for the theater goers: I was on a team that beat Alex Oriaki in eighth grade. One of the greatest updates, uh, upsets, excuse me. But we're not going to get down that rabbit hole. This is for Kemba Walker. Thank you for that fact check because I definitely thought it was the Big East title game. Well, it actually- yeah, it's 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 really proclaimed as such if you watch it in the basketball highlights. You know, where, right. where they say can't. UConn wins the Big East. They always show that. They didn't show that that was literally just the quarterfinals. Right. Wild. It's like it's like showing a walk-off home run in the ALDS of right. a team that eventually wins the World Series. Obviously, it's different in a one-game college basketball setting, but it's crazy that that's how highly that is looked at, looked back at. It's because if they didn't have that, it's almost like, um, uh, was it Kai, uh, Kawhi's uh, Big Three? Yeah, against the Sixers Sixers last year, where it was, it's looked upon so highly now because without that, they don't go on to win the NBA championship. That's actually another good rabbit hole that we can get into real quick. Some of the other examples of that are the 1980 U.S. hockey team beating the Soviet Soviet Union was in the semifinals, I think. Yeah, and then even if you think of like the three of the Red Sox titles, you got that David Ortiz Grand Slam against the Tigers. 
Nobody yeah. remembers shit against the Cardinals in the World Series. Uh, and then you also have the uh, the the O four where they oh four yeah where we Mark also Dalt, don't remember yeah. where we also don't give a shit about the Cardinals, Cardinals? in the World Series. Yeah, yeah. right. Or then uh, yeah, you've got O uh, seven when they swept the Rockies in the World Series. So yeah, nobody really gives a shit about the World Series. Yeah, I guess really. And yeah. did, actually, this year's a good example. Even, no, even, shout out to Washington Nationals for yeah. winning it this year. But if the Astros would have won this World Series, and we'd have just thought about Jose Altuve's home run in the ALCS. ALCS, right? Yeah, it's crazy. These are these are all very good uh, examples. But that's my big five, my starting five. Excuse me: Craig Smith, Doug McDermott, Kemble Walker, Levance Puppy Dog Fields, Ryan Gomes. And then I got to get some honorable mentions in real quick. Uh, Fab Mello, RIP, former Celtic, mm. former Syracuse guy. Mm-hmm. Just a big, goofy motherfucker. I don't know how he was effective, but he was. Uh, then I'm going to go Marcus Williams. Those UConn teams huh. are funny. Laptop Thief. Uh, Hashim Thabit, who you mentioned. And AJ Price. I don't know why I really liked watching AJ Price play. Hmm. Uh, sticking with Connecticut real quick, Denim Brown. The only uh, reason I have him on the team is because of the long sleeve shirt. And they also need to bring back those uniforms. They don't say Yukon. They say Connecticut all across the front. Very clean. And then very, very last one, Lazar Hayward from mm, Marquette. I almost took uh, Jeff Adrian from those Yukon teams as well. Just big. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I was fortunate to be able to, uh, Watch that Hashim to beat team go to the final four, which was pretty cool. Uh, but we really don't get to see a lot of big East teams out here in our or now and not my neck of the woods, not our neck of the woods uh, out here in the West. So that was pretty fun to watch uh, out here in Phoenix. And that was, yeah, 10, 11 years ago, however long it was now. But I really liked Hashim to beat. Thought he was going to be a stud. Very, was very wrong on that in the NBA. Memphis almost, guys probably think that too. Almost considered. Abeka Okafor on this list as yep. well, but uh, Josh but, Boone, but but clearly didn't. So <laughs> Josh Boone, Hilton Armstrong, for a team for a team that I actually absolutely despise because they are the exact opposite program that Arizona is. Yep. Where they only have national championship success, they haven't had tournament success in the last decade or t- whatever, two even at all. But when they go, they go. Pretty much, they're winning. If they make the tournament, they're winning the national championship. That's it. Uh, they they will haunt you if they're like a ten or a seven seed going into the tournament because you're like, well, it is UConn. They could very well go. They won a national title with Kevin Goddamn Ollie. Like that is all you need to know. Do you remember that time period where people were talking about how good of a coach Kevin Ollie was? And I was personally just sitting there screaming like. This is needing to recruit one of these players on the team. Like, this was all what is going type. on? Right. Yeah. I mean, he was like being considered for even higher jobs in the country. Like, no, this dude doesn't have any idea what he's doing. Yeah. But also, speaking of Jim Calhoun, real quick, another reason why I love Ryan Gomes is because he made Jim Calhoun lose his shit indirectly. Jim Calhoun was in a press conference and I, he was basically asked for the thousandth time, like, why didn't you recruit Ryan Gomes after I think he torched UConn and Calhoun? He, he, I think you know which interview I'm talking about, but the, mm-hmm. at the presser, he was like, I fucked up. I fucked up. If you want to say I fucked up, I fucked up. So thank you for that moment indirectly, Ryan Gomes. But 
what what does Gomes do that just blows you away now that you, you maybe no one saw? You only go throughout the country of the guys that came and didn't go. I'm a genius. I took a Mecca over for it a hundred. It's, it's the dumbest fucking question I've ever heard. I've explained it a thousand times. I fucked up. I didn't take Ryan Gomes. Does that I didn't make you happy? You fucked up. And if you want me to say I fucked up, I fucked up. Write it. You want me to say I fucked up? For the fifth time, I fucked up. All right, so put it five times. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. I like your starting five. I think my five is beating your five on the court, though. Oh, no, most likely. actually, I take that back. Oh, no, I got Kemba. Yeah, because you have Kemba. Yeah, because that's all that matters. It really, no, it, Doug, whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> it could be you, me, the whore down the street, whatever. And as long as Kemba's there, then you're probably winning that game. Absolutely. All right, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our interview with, you guessed it, the Providence Crier. We also got another special guest coming Justin Hasgard, big Rhode Island guy. Uh, take a listen. All right, I'm now joined by the Providence Crier himself. He's back on the program. And a new guy, we got Justin Hasgard representing the University of Rhode Island. The reason I say that and the reason I brought these two together is because what I'm trying to do is shed a bit more light on the country's more on one of the country's more underrated rivalries. Uh, and that is Providence College and the University of Rhode Island. So earlier in this episode, we discussed Big East predictions and Coach of the Year. Ed Cooley came up a couple times. But I wanted to bring in the crier and also his number one rival, Hasgard, here to talk PCURI. And I'm going to dive right into it, fellas. The major question that I have, and I think a lot of people have, is who's been better the past five years? I mean, obviously it's the Friars. Uh, you know, they, they missed the tournament last year, so did the Rams. But uh, before that, five straight seasons of the tournament, the Rams been twice. Great. Subi, listen, every time I get into this conversation with the crier, it is literally like I'm holding forward for Mindhunter. I am just talking to an insane person the entire time. I have no idea what he's talking about. When it comes to being a successful college basketball team, all that matters is March wins. Right now, in the past five years, URI's got two, Providence has one. End of story. Right there. I mean, yeah, sure, you have one more victory. But I'd rather, like, every time you're at the dance, you have a chance to win the whole thing. So I'd rather be there five times than be there twice. But you don't, because Ed Cooley is one of the worst playoff coaches in college basketball history. He is, what, one in five? Is that what he is? And you guys follow him anywhere he goes. He literally almost took that Michigan job this past offseason, and you guys are still clamoring for him. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he just saved his wins for this season. This, the season, the Cryer Prophecy, Final Four, it's happening this year. So it's like this whole little argument of your one win over a, like one more tournament win and let's not let's not just uh like oh you have your tournament win pc has dominated the rivalry we kick your ass every year again this is an argument i hear from pc fans all the time they get up for this december game more than anyone else in their entire in the entire country really when it comes to a one versus one basketball game 
this is all they have. They just want to claim Rhode Island, their little state, Rhode Island. Meanwhile, you or I is aspiring for bigger things. We're trying to get on the national stage. You guys just want to dominate Rhode Island and be very happy and be like, oh, Ed Cooley wins against URI. That's it. That's all he does. I mean, listen, it's, it's kind of funny because your old coach there, uh, Hurley, he, he like brings us up. Like, oh, we were kind of thing when we were winning games in the tournament. It, it's, a, it's a joke, really. And now you got David Cox, and like, where's the program going? I, I don't know. Like, you didn't make the tournament last year. You're projected, what, fourth in the A10? Great. Uh, can the A10 bring four teams to dance? I don't know. You probably have to win your tournament. No, uh, you bring up a great point. Where is the program going? So let's look at projections here, right? So we had a super young team last year, right? One of the youngest teams in the A10, right? Agree there? Sure. So all we can do is grow and get better from here on out. We're keeping the same core. We've added some excellent freshmen. The one of them is a four-star, Makai uh, Long. He's going to come in, make an impact. But let's talk about the projection for Providence. In the past four years, What's that winning percentage done for Providence? Yeah, I, I'll answer it for you. It's gone down every single year to the point where Ed Cooley is no longer making the tournament, and you guys still follow him. Please give me an answer for why you follow him no matter what. Because Eddie, you know, he brings he, – he's the kind of guy you want representing your program. He's a big family man, us, we, together, family, friars. That's what it's all about, baby. And Eddie brings in the talent. And eventually, he's going to work this whole thing out. I mean, two seasons ago, he brings in two top 50 recruits, uh, and David Duke and A.J. Reeves. Those guys got another year under their belt. And this season, the sky's limit for the Friars this season, I'm telling you. Cryer, quick question for you. If Ed Cooley wasn't from Providence, would, would the city cape for him? Like, not, obviously not as much, but would they still cape for him? You know, obviously... You know, I think Ed Cooley does get his fair share of criticism. I, I mean, I personally, um, you know, do I want more success in the tournament? For sure, right? But you got to remember, like, this guy has brought us to the tournament five straight seasons before last season. PC hadn't had that success in forever. So, you know, the the reason why people go to bat for Ed Cooley is because where would we be without him? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. So uh, do Fire fans want more success in the tournament? For sure. Um, I think this is a huge year for him. If, if it doesn't go good this year, all of a sudden the seat will get hot. But uh, but no, I mean, I, I think certainly if he wasn't from here, being from the area definitely helps. Let's, let's call it space space. But um, it, but also, you got to realize, like, Ed Cooley's character, he's a very racist guy, you know, player's coach. Everyone loves him. Everyone who meets him loves him. So, I mean, I sure, do people go go bad for Ed more than they would another coach? Sure. But, you know, end of the day, it, it does matter in March. I, I'll, I'll agree with that. you got to win in March. But, uh we think he's got a team this year that can can do that. So I'm not okay. too concerned. Sui, do you mind if I dive into that a little bit of what he just said? Because he just unpacked a lot there. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about a losing team mindset, okay? And that's just loving your coach. He's a vivacious guy. He's big. He, he gets big recruits. 
very fancy off seasons, right? And then it comes to the regular season. He does all right, makes the playoffs, loses. You know what other fan base did that for 15 years? The Cincinnati Bengals with Marvin Lewis. Okay, that's basically what we have here: a fan base that just drinks the Kool Aid. They just drink the Kool Aid until they get to the playoffs. They're just happy to be in the playoffs and lose and get crushed every time. Whether it be UNC, USC, even Dayton, I believe took you out one year. Anyone can take you guys out. If you you see Providence in the first round and you're matched up against them, just pencil yourself in to the second round because they are that bad. That's the problem. Well, we get screwed in seating. You know, we got to play UNC and Raleigh, which I attended to. I broke my face, but I attended the game. Uh, well, I didn't go to that game. I went to the first game, broke my face, and had to miss the UNC game. But, like, PC gets screwed by the selection committee year in and year out. Uh, we had to play Dayton in, Colum- in Columbus. Like, how is that fair? No, I it's thought you fair. played them in Dayton. No, it was actually in Columbus. Oh, okay. Well, but, I I do yeah, agree that's that. That's like an yeah. hour drive. That's insane. So, I mean, I think seating has a lot to do with it. Granted, Uri did beat uh, Trey Young, but that was a team that was trending up in the beginning of the season and then trending extremely down towards the end of the year. So it's all about matchups in March. So I think Uri has had, had the advantage of getting better matchups. They got to play Creighton last year. Come on now. Like, well, it was two years ago, but Creighton was still a contender, and they had Patton, who was like potentially freshman of the year candidate. Hey, I, I know that, and he went went off to the NBA and was a huge bust. But uh, you know, it, it's all about matchups, and like PC always has to play UNC. Like what the like what the fuck? Like, I, I don't get. It. Yeah, you have two losses to UNC. All right. Big deal. You also lost the day, and whether it be in Ohio or not, you're supposed to be the big bag, big East. You should be able to take care of an A10 team in the tournament. The whole point of the NCAA tournament is that it's neutral site games. This is a home game. You know that doesn't happen every time. It still, we were in a higher seat and had to play a road game. Like, how can you? Like, that's insane. It, you know, it won't even matter this year because we're going to be ranked. We're going to get a great seed. And we're gonna we're gonna make the final four. Like I've been saying, this is the year. So, and, and like I, I can't wait to this game. Oh, I'll tell you, December sixth. I have it circled on my calendar. So, um, as a, go ahead. I'm curious. I want to unpack this game actually. So, where is it? First of all, it's in Rhode Island, Ryan Center. Yeah, URI. It's at the Ryan Center. Okay. So I'm curious about two players. I'm curious about your boy Langevine Hasgard. Is he, he's still there, right? Of course. And then your boy Sorette. I'm I'm curious about Makai Ashton Langford. I'm gonna yeah, start. Let's hear about Makai Ashton Langford, Sorette. Oh, did he, he go to UMass? You want to? No, no, he, he went, went to BC. BC. My bad. Okay. My so thoughts. let's talk about this talent that Cooley <laughs> brings in all the time. Makai Ashton Langford stinks. Transfers to BC. Uh, who's the new guy? David Duke comes in stinks probably going to transfer after this year because he's going to stink again now they got Craig Gant who came in and all I'm hearing about is how much he stinks so I can't wait yeah he stinks can't stay on the can't stay on the court so basically all these guys that Cooley brings in that the fan base gets all riled up about they all stink Hescard you like get all excited for your one top 100 recruit Jermaine Samuels who's going to get eaten alive by Nate Watson in this game First, First of all, Jermaine Samuels play, plays for Villanova. You should know that. Jermaine Harris, whatever. 
Yeah, Whatever. Jermaine Harris was a little thin coming in as a freshman, as like a 6'10 freshman. He was probably 200 pounds, so he got pushed around a little bit. But just like Langevin, he was smaller, and then he got better. Langevin is now the biggest beast in the A10 and will dominate any forward that PC has against him, whether it be Nate Watson or Fat Emmett Holt, whoever it is. Oh, okay. Hey, hey, let me ask you, um, what happened last year, in last year's game? Because your team is mostly the same guys, and this year our team's mostly the same guys. So, like, what, what happened last year? Again, you guys had a ton more experience than us going into the game. Alpha Diallo and Nate Watson had a lot more experience than basically just Fats Russell. We started three freshmen on that game. Yeah, we had two. But what happened? Can you explain to me what happened? It was in the dunk, and it was an inexperienced freshman team playing a road game in a very heated rivalry. Um, I want to. I want to ask you though, like the shooting. Do you, do you remember the shooting in that game? Wasn't good. I don't, I don't believe it was good for either team. Neither team got above sixty points. No, it wasn't good for either team. Providence was a terrible shooting team last year, and somehow the Rams outdid them. It was amazing. That's why he couldn't he couldn't hit the the, the bread run of a barn, my man. Like Jesus. And you expect these guys to, to beat us this year when we added a guy like Juan Pipkins, who's an All Conference player in your puny conference. Now he comes to PC. Like, I You want to talk about Luan Pipkins, Sorette? Luan Pipkins got his ass beat for three years at UMass at the hands of URI, and you're thinking that I'm going to be worried about Luan Pipkins? You're going to be worried about him when he has talent around him. I think he literally went 0 for 6 against URI, and he led that team every single year. That's kind of like your record against us. Like, what, one in, one in, what's your record against PC since we've gone to college? We went to college in 2008 as freshmen. What's the yeah. record? I don't know, was it one and six, one and seven? Yeah, you guys have won twice. Two times since 2008. Right, and one of them I believe you were at, right? Um, I was at both of the losses, yeah. Oh, so how was that? I remember the one in the Ryan Center when you were there. Yeah, um, well, so they were both at the Ryan Center. One year was Greedy Pearson inbound the ball, but he had his foot over the line, got a technical loss in the game, great. And the you were, what, 17 was, at half that game? Yeah, we did have a lead in that game. Uh, the other game, uh, yeah, it was bad. And that's why I cannot wait for this game. Because I'm two years ago, I'm at the Ryan Center, Subi. And, you know, PC ends up losing. And I'm leaving the arena. And the whole, the whole like, arena, fuck PC! Fuck PC! And I'm just like, this is like classless trash people that I'm surrounded by right now. <laughs> so you know what? I, I'm not a guy that, that takes things lightly. So when I go to the game again at the Ryan Center this year and we kill them, I, I'm going to let them have it. I, who knows? I might take a dump like in the concourse, like that, that Memphis fan in the, <laughs> at Tennessee last year. Yeah, luckily your dump looked like rabbit poop and no one will even know. So this is why I'm so fascinated with the rivalry because, as you can tell, past five years, it's either do you want the wins versus your rival or do you want what what matters, you know, and what truly counts in – and it's not saying rivalry wins don't truly count because let's say if a football team goes 0-11 or 1-10, one one 
if that one win is against their all-time rival, right? Coach feels good. Fan base feels fine. Or do you want postseason victories? So looking forward to this year, I know the prior prophecy is final four for Providence. Scarred, does URI make the tournament this year? And is that an insulting question? Uh, no, it's not insulting because most of the national polls have three A10 teams at least getting votes for the top 25. So you got to assume that they're probably uh, a bet to get into the tournament by themselves. So the A10 typically struggles to get more than three into the tournament, but URI, all we have to do is we have a very strong uh, schedule right now with Maryland, LSU, Alabama. We've got Providence uh, and West Virginia. So I think all we have to do is go three and two in those games and we'll have a very strong. Oh, three outlook. and two. <laughs> I see maybe one win there. I'm saying all we have to do is go three and two and we're going to have a very strong uh, outlook for the tournament come a 10 season. Where's the West Virginia game? At uh, West Virginia. Okay, yeah, I, I don't see a win. Where's Alabama game? Uh, Alabama's home. Fielding, so that, Alabama's that, that, home. That. Yep, okay, that's the so second maybe of our home one, home. Maybe get one. Maybe get one. Providence is also at home. And I think oh, we I know, know how that. that happened last time. Okay, how it happened last time, sure. But the, the Friars are just way more loaded than, than these Rams. You and, want to talk uh, about loaded? You don't have a bench. Like, who is your backup point guard? Um, Malik White. Malik White. Okay, great. So he's going to come in, and you're going to be either very short on the guard side and, like, a little stocky on forward side, or you're just going to have super tall forwards going in with, like, what, one Luane Pipkins holding the ball? The I have no idea. Emmett Holt, a guy that scored, like, 12 and – 12 and 6. Uh, Emmett Holt, dude. Emmett Holt, you're talking about a guy who gets five minutes a game and then passes out. He's not going to be All a factor. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's back, baby. Oh, my God. He's back. If you're going to talk to me about, like, Khalif Young, is he still on the team? Maybe he can yeah, put in some good minutes. Yeah. Okay. So he's our, a good. Yeah, our bench, we actually have players, but I don't know anyone on your bench. Who's on your bench? Oh, we've got plenty of guys. Dana Tate. You know who Dana Tate is yet? Uh, I've heard the name. But, oh, yeah. You know. You're going to know Dan Tate. Uh, uh, Antoine Walker, once we finally get that transfer waiver from the NCAA, we got Antoine Walker coming over from Georgetown. You should probably know him. What's his name? <laughs> Antoine Walker. Is that it's it's you and Antoine. Oh, God. <laughs> I had no idea about that either. That might be all-name team for the A-10. I mean, you want to talk about all-name team. URI crushes Providence in the all-name team. We got Fats Russell, Antoine Walker, and our freshman coming in next year. His name is Elijah Wood, a.k.a. Frodo. Meanwhile, Providence just has David Duke, the most racist name in America. <laughs> he goes by David Duke Jr., excuse me. Uh, even worse. That's even worse. Literally sounds like he's David Duke's son. Great. <laughs> so great. Like, um, that's great. You guys can have all the good names, like the funny-sounding names. That's, that's fantastic. We'll, we'll take the talent. Thank you. Again, so- the talent that you think you have actually stinks and then they stink and transfer. That's what they do. That's Providence basketball. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. So let's play a hypothetical here. House guard, you do go three and two and you end up, let's say you're a bubble team, maybe a little bit better than a bubble team. Who gets a higher seed in this tournament? Us versus Providence. You versus Providence. Uh, we do. 
typically A10, especially when we beat higher ranked teams, they are a little more favorable for us. And, and since Providence is probably going to be the seventh or eighth team in the Big East, if they're able to get that many teams in, which they probably won't, the Big East will probably be a five or six team bid team uh, for that league. And typically the lower five or six in the conference, you're looking at probably an eight or nine seed, maybe even a 10 seed where A10, if we slip in and we're like the second or third best A10 team, we might get a seven or an eight. Well, so here's where you're wrong there. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a chance that the, the committee could screw us like they always do. So who knows? Maybe you do get the higher seed. But the Big East right now has every single team in the Ken Palm top 100. Something that they A10 cannot say. Um, I, I think the Big East could push eight teams for sure this year. Um, a lot of talent in the Big East. You know, I am worried about beating up on each other, but but I think PC will finish top four. And then, you know, Cooley, he may not win in, in uh, the NCAA tournament, but Cooley has done well at Madison Square in the Big East tournament. So you couple that with the fact that uh, PC's non-conference schedule, it's interesting. It's very cupcake early, and then late in the year it gets tough. Um, you know. Subi will be in that tournament over Thanksgiving, um, the wooden legacy there. Um, and then after that, PC has a home game against Texas. They'll play Florida at Barclays. Um, so that will be a good test to get them ready for conference play. I just think PC has way more resume-building opportunities than, than Rhode Island would get, to be honest with you. I mean, there's no argument there because you, you're in the Big East. You'll have – more opportunities to get bigger wins uh, because that's just how it goes with Big East versus A-10. A-10 doesn't get any of the respect it deserves, even though we typically, once the playoffs start, perform pretty well. I mean, I, yeah. I, I just think this year, Peace is going to be flirting around the top 25 pretty much the whole year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they start off 6-0 and before they go to that tournament in um, – in uh, Anaheim there, I, I, I think um, the Northwestern game terrifies me. Game three at Northwestern. Northwestern's supposed to be trash. And uh, In our I, Big I Ten preview, we had them probably ranked as the worst team. Oh, yeah. I, I read, yeah, I read about them. They're supposed to be hot garbage. But uh, early in the year, you never know. All these teams have hope. So that game does scare me. But I do see them starting 6-0. and And the fact that they're already getting votes in the top 25 – you start six and now they'll probably be around twenty five when they you know play in that tournament. They'll probably face Arizona in the championship game. We all know how that turned out last time. That's true. Hey man, don't drag me into this. <laughs> hey, I'm not trying. I'm to trying to stay as neutral as possible. But if you start <laughs> talking spicy like that, I'll have to I'll have to jump in on Housecard side. So here's a question that I always like asking bitter rivals, and it's very plausible for a Duke Carolina national title game. But let's say. You're you're proposed with a URI versus Providence title game. Do you want that? Like, so the reason I'm asking that is is because some people would say, if I'm on the losing end of that, then I cannot talk shit ever again. Do, would you want a Providence Rhode Island title game? Yeah, absolutely. Because we dominate the rivalry, so. We're going to win and we'll be champions. And then finally, this guy, this guy, Haskard over here can just finally shut the hell up. It'll be great. 
Yeah, Subi. Uh, <laughs> I again, this is just unmatched confidence for Providence. I really hope that we do this again in the middle of the season. That way, you know, the crier will be a little more humbled, probably with some bad losses on his schedule. So, uh, no one is more hyped for the season opener than Providence Criers uh, because they think that you know the talent they brought in. They see a four-star recruit and that he's going to be uh, all-American immediately because Ed Cooley's coaching. Even though Ed Cooley is Again, one of the worst postseason coaches in history. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Has Cox one of the played worst. in the postseason game? Has who? Cox. Has yes. Well, he was on the staff with Hurley, so oh, I'd say yes. Great. I mean, uh, hey, if you want to talk about that, Cooley was on the staff at BC, and they won tournament games. They weren't great, but they won tournament games. You're literally asking if a coach of one year has been in the tournament game. Well, Again, yeah, this is where I feel like Mindhunter – with Holden, like I'm, I'm talking to an insane person. He's talking about one year of experience versus Cooley's. What, what's this? The seventh year at Providence? Eighth year? It's just ninth. Ninth year. I'm, I'm flat. Ninth year, one <laughs> win in March, and he's talking about Cox not having a win after one season. I mean, he inherited an absolute dumpster fire. So, gotta give the guy some props. Who did Cooley or Cox? Oh yeah. Oh. I worked for the team. It was a nightmare. Oh, this like, is post-Kino Davis, right? Oh, yeah. The Kino Davis era was a nightmare. Players were beating up innocent students for no reason. Uh, like, uh, it was terrible. Uh, Kino Davis was so out of touch with, with, with everything. And at the time, the Big East was this juggernaut. And it was, like, it was the least attractive job. I'm, I'm surprised Cole even took it, to be honest with you. Providence but here we are. Through and through. Yeah, he's a Providence man. So here's what I'll do. I will get you guys out on this since we're talking coaches. We can bond over a single hatred of Danny Hurley. Is that fair to say? Uh, I don't hate him. I think he's an idiot for leaving, but uh, I think he was building up something great at URI, and URI was probably on the trajectory to being a top 25 team every season if he stayed. Not, I'm not saying top 10 team, but he was going to flirt with the top 25 probably as long as he was at URI. And jumping to UConn, I mean, what a mess UConn is. Like, literally just bundles and bundles of violations year after year. There's no doubt within the next two or three years there's going to be a UConn scandal. Can we agree on that? Hey, possibly, but uh, I'll say this. Um, didn't we have a bet during the season – I told you, like mid-season, that Danny Hurley would leave URI and take the UConn job, and you thought I was taking crazy pills. And what happened? He he did exactly that, exactly what the choir said. I am pro- prophetic. I, I I can see the future. Final Four is coming our way, baby. Yeah, so that's some revisionist history there, because I was telling everyone and anybody that Hurley was only staying on until E.C. Matthews graduated. And then once EC left, he was probably gone. So I don't know where you just came up with that in your head. But You made a bet. You had to pay me. You want me to pull up Venmo? Yes, I would like you to pull up Venmo for that because there's just no way that happened. Yeah, you paid me like 100 bucks. Again, we're just making I, up bets now. It forever to look it up. I'm not going to waste Tubi's <laughs> time here. But, I mean, a- afterwards we can go to the tape, and the tape will show you you're wrong. Yeah, well, I told you a thousand times that Makai Ashton Lankford stunk, and you kept saying that he just needed to develop, and then now he's at BC with his brother, probably stinking it up over there. 
Yeah, I mean, that's. I was rooting for Makai. He's from Worcester. I grew up in Central Massachusetts. I was rooting for Makai to succeed. In, in, yeah, he was terrible. What, what can I say? But uh, back to Hurley. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's such a bitch, dude. I, I can't stand Hurley. Yeah, wait, so what was that? I was listening to your podcast, Surrett, Providence Crier podcast. Listen to that on Anchor. I was listening to that uh, segment about Cooley and Hurley, like kind of getting into it. Yeah, because uh, at Biggie's Media Day, Cooley kind of made fun of the, you know, like told UConn that he was asked about like UConn joined the Big East, and he said that the Big East gave them new life. It gave their fan base new life. And all this, and um, which is true. I mean, like, right? Like, does UConn want to just stick around in the American for their stupid meddling football team? I, I don't think so. I think we all agree on that. And yet, Danny Hurley, he just has this like Napoleon complex about him. And uh, of course, he has to take offense to this. And so he started chirping about, you know, he, he took shots at, he kind of took a soul shot by saying, uh, bringing up a recruit that Cooley was pretty hard after that he ended up getting over him. And then he brought up his, how the URI was a thing in the thing in Rhode Island, whatever. Yeah. I can't stand the guy. They almost came to blows on, on the sideline once and bring it back, baby. Like cannot wait for next year to play UConn twice. I guarantee Cooley and Hurley will get into it again. Mark my words. Yeah, Dan Hurley, literally the worst part about being a fan of URI was his antics on the sidelines. He is just such a schoolgirl on the sidelines, just pouting and, and whining every time he doesn't get a call. Just be a professional. Don't go out there and do hand motions and gestures and stuff that make you look like a little bitch. Please just be a professional and act like a grown man out there. You'll get more respect from the players. I don't know how he recruits, to be honest, because anyone who watches tape of Hurley on the sidelines thinks he's a madman and not like a evil genius because his in-game coaching is normally not very good he's more of a recruiter but man i have no idea how he gets players because he just whines and whines and whines and then even when he gets into this argument with ed cooley where you're thinking okay maybe he's got some balls on him then he goes over immediately and starts apologizing and trying to shake ed's hand no if you're going to get in an argument be a man and just own it yeah that, yeah at the end of that he's like well i'm not mad we're, we're good buddies it's like are you i don't think you are see this is, I knew there was a common ground somewhere. Yeah, I, I guess there is. Before I put you guys uh, back into your corners until the middle of the season where we will surely do this again, any parting words? No, I'm just like super excited for, for basketball to begin. Um, so, you know what? It's an exciting time. I'll, I'll let you or I have their fun for now. But uh, December 6th, again, circled on my calendar. I'm going to be there. And we're going to get some revenge, and it's going to be sweet. This is this is what makes it a little different from every other rivalry in the country is because when we're not playing each other, I'm actually rooting for PC up to the point where we play them because I want them to be at their peak so we can tear them down where, when they need to be. And okay, you want us at our peak because it's not RPI rating. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah, there you go. But I believe it's the same for you, though. You want your eye to succeed until we play you. That way it's a bigger game. And obviously when it's a bigger game, everyone enjoys it more. It's more trash talk. More money gets thrown down. And, uh, you know, the past few years, PC has been winning. But, again, you can't really argue uh, the facts that URI has been more successful in the past five years than PC. 
come the playoffs. That's going to be his trump card until this year. Finally, that will end, and Cooley's going to start rattling off those tournament victories, baby. He's, and then he'll oh have God. nothing to say. Providence we, fans, we won't even have to have him on the podcast because he will literally stop. have nothing to say. Providence fans literally sound like pre-2004 Red Sox fans. They're like, oh, just wait till this year. Just wait till next year. They're so going to be champions. Happen? Yeah, finally. But yeah, you don't have a curse that you're getting over. You just have a bad coach and bad players. That's all you have. Okay. All right. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you hopping on and shedding some light on this big-time rivalry from the smallest state in the entire country. We will catch you next time, middle of the season. Let's do this again, yeah? Oh, yeah. Let's Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks fellas. <laughs> want to thank Justin and Surrett again for coming onto the program, sharing some of their thoughts on the rivalry between PC and URI. Taylor, let's wrap this up with some hugs. Who you got? So usually I try to stick it to or stick with the conference that we're in to give my hug out. But today we're going to go to a personal hug a hug that I've given out several times before in person, more than several times. We're going to give my hug to a guy who joins, who joins athletes like Derek Rose and Zion Williamson, who have torn their meniscus. And that is my father, big Edward P. Damble, who had surgery on his torn meniscus this morning at Fairbanks Memorial Hospital in Fairbanks, Alaska. Hey, man, speedy recovery, Ed. There, that is something that they all have in common, absolutely. I think every athlete has actually torn their ACL but I'm just going like with the most athletic people that I could think of. And I'm going to bet you uh, in six to eight weeks, Edward P. Dammel will be in better physical condition on his comeback train than Zion Williamson will be. Noted. That's my, you heard it here. You might be right, man. <laughs> Shout out Ed speedy recovery. I'm actually going to give a personal hug as well to Mike Surrett, who we just had on. We had mentioned it new podcast. He launched called the Providence crier podcast right here on anchor. Uh, So get your fix of PCP, Providence Prior (laughs) Podcast. You can get that with Surrett. So hug for you, Mike Surrett. You're going to enjoy his content during the season. Next up, T, we got the Pac-12, dude, and that's it. And then we're right into the season. Well, and we all, you know, luckily for us, we have some big Pac-12 news to share in terms of our uh, previews about how the conference is going to go. And it's going to make us look a lot less like homers, which I'm super excited about. So take care. Have a great weekend. We will see you next time here on theater and college hoops.